0: Right, I am excited about tonight, but uh, what also excites me, I see Bob back there. You know, Bob just does about a little bit of everything around here, doesn't he? I mean, he helps lock up and unlock up, and then he's helping with the audio and everything else, making me sound good. There's a need for him to make me look good, but that's impossible, Bob, so. But uh, anyway, I just want to thank you, Bob, for your faithfulness to serve this church and to serve God. Are you ready to study the Word? Ready to just dive into it? I tell you what, I don't know if you spent any time in James this last week. If you were with us last Wednesday night, if you spent any time in James. But uh, the more that I spend in, in James, the more that I just fall in love with this book. Because James just tells us how to live a Christian life. I mean, it is so pointed. And you know, it really is referred to as the proverb of the New Testament And when you think back about that, we study the Proverbs, and they say if you read a proverb a day, you're going to have all this wisdom and this knowledge, and uh, there's only five chapters in James. If you read a chapter a day, you can read it, I forgot, I didn't do the math, but you can do it so many times in a month, and you're just going to get wiser and stronger and learn how to live a Christian life. James is qualified to write it. We shared this last week, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And every time I think about it, Rich and I were just kind of at the end of service last week. I was... I made a comment that if James and Jesus were laying down at night and on their mat and James just taking in everything that, that Christ had to say. As I'm talking about his children. And Rich came up to me and said, can you just imagine if something happened to one of their little animals, a dog or a cat or something, and it fell over dead. Jesus just went over and put his hands on it and the thing just jumped up, started running. How would James react to that? But uh, me, I found that funny thinking about that. But you think about James, he spent all that time with our Savior. And I'm sure that they talked about a lot of things. And James was making all those notes and saying, you know what? I'm going to write a book one day. I'm going to write a letter to the church of Jerusalem. And I'm going to tell them how they can live a Christian life just based on what my brother had told me, what my half-brother had told me. This is the proverb of the New Testament. And I guarantee you, if you study James and you apply it to your life, you're going to live a Christian life 24 hours a day seven days a week, uh, 52 weeks a year, and just on and on and on. Last week, we talked about problems and trials and pain or an opportunity for joy. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it, in the natural? we talk, I'm just going to give you kind of a brief review in case you're here for the first time, but it doesn't make sense when you think about going through a trial. i got these problems in my life. How can I have joy? Well, we talked about He didn't say happiness. He didn't say that it's, a, it's an opportunity for happiness. Happiness is very shallow. But you can have joy because you realize who is walking with you during the trial. That's the secret. And anything, And matter of fact, that's the secret of our living our Christian life is we recognize that God is with us every step of the, day, of, the, of the way, every moment of the day. God is absolutely with us. And when you think about that, because tonight we're going to talk about faith, that leads to change, and faith that leads to social actions. And when we talk about those things, and you think about, you know, how do you make that happen? Well, you realize God is walking with you every day, every moment of every day. He is right there. He's observing us, how we're reacting to the trials that happen in our life. God says, hey, pick you up right her hair. We can carry you. We can help get you through this trial. That's what it's all about. God is there with us. During the trials. And trials are an opportunity for joy. You know, We start out by giving you a definition of a trial. I'm going to read it one more time for you, and then we're going to move into, we're going to talk a little bit about temptations, and then we're going to move into the night. But the definition of a trial, the action or the process of trying or putting to the proof. Now, when I read that out read that of Webster, I highlighted that word proof, because we are just realizing that the proof is in God being with us. That's the proof. And the trials that we're going through in life are just the opportunity to recognize that God is there. Because trials are things that we can't do on our own. We can't fix it on our own. We can't accomplish something on our own. We need divine intervention. And God is there to bring that divine intervention. So that's what the word trial is. Then the second part of last week, we talked about temptations. Temptations, different than trials. You know, trials, you know, they help us to grow. The trials in our life help us to grow. Temptations, if you don't deal with them, they'll lead to destruction. Because every day we are tempted in some way, in some how, maybe something to say something or to do something that will bring destruction in our life. Some of them have eternal consequences and some of them are just daily consequences. But God says that you can deal with the temptations, but you've got to recognize them. It's not a sin to be tempted. The sin is when you... Begin to think about that temptation and you begin, you give into the temptation, that's when the sin happens. You know, and Leonardo da Vinci, remember that little quote? He said, It is easier to resist at the beginning than at the end. It's so true. When you're tempted, if you give into it now, the next time that that temptation, and you ask God to forgive you, and if you don't, repentance means turning away from it. But if you do it again, it's going to be harder and harder and harder. You've resisted at the beginning then you're going to be a lot better off. So when you think about the book of James, how do you live a Christian life when you have pain and problems and the trials in life? You can have joy because God is right there with you. When the temptations come, God's not tempting you. God has never brought a temptation to any man. God's Word says that He doesn't tempt us. But when the temptation comes, you rely upon God and the Holy Spirit to say, you know what? Help me to resist this. And with your help, I'm going to resist it. And if I resist it, I'm going to be a stronger person. I'm going to be a better Christian so that I can then go out and help somebody else. And so that's what it's all about. So are you are ready to dive in to faith that makes a change and faith that causes social action? And I'll explain that social action when I get to that particular part. But if you're ready to dive into that particular part of the lesson with me, let's just go ahead and open up in prayer about that. Father, we do. I thank you for the opportunity to to stand in front of these men and women, God, that that just have a desire to study your Word and to understand your Word better and to apply it to their life. And God, I just thank you that as I'm up here today, that you speak through me, that I just disappear myself, and that you and the Holy Spirit speak through me to, to bring the message forward that you want us all to hear. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before I dive into this, i just got to have one little brief announcement. I'm going to end this a little bit early tonight because we've got a very special thing that we're going to be doing to honor uh, one of our great young men here, it's Derek Tice. It's his birthday Monday, but also he spent 20 years in the youth ministry. And so at the very end, I'm going to end here about probably 10 minutes till 8. And if you want to go into the teen room, we're going to have a big celebration in there. We're going to have cake and ice cream. Derek is a great man, but cake and ice cream, wow. And uh, we're going to honor Derek, and so you're welcome to join us over there. So, pardon me? Please do. Yeah, please do. And we're going to have cake and ice cream, and we're going to honor the faithfulness of not only to the teens, but you see him every Sunday morning in praise and worship, and you know, uh, he's up there faithfully, and he's been doing that for 20 years now. And uh, it's just been so faithful. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about him. I could go on for the rest of this time, but uh, I'm not because I love that young man. And, uh, you know, he's like mine and Johnny's his own. And I know Charlene shares him with us. But uh, anyway, you're welcome to join us tonight as we celebrate that. So let's dive into this. True faith leads to change. Real faith, real faith means real obedience to God. When you think about this, There's, you know, faith. many have faith without works. Many have faith without works. In other words, they believe that, that God and what He says, but they're not being changed by His Word. They're not being changed by what they believe. And that's what the whole essence of this lesson is all about, is that we've got to allow the faith of Christ to begin to make changes into our life. I've got a quote here that I'm going to read to you. It says, Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Now, I don't even remember who, who said that quote. I just had it in, in some, some reference. But everyone thinks of changing the world. We always look at somebody else and say, well, they need to change. They need some changes in their life. But we very seldom say, well, how can I change? What do I need to do to make a change? And Even though you're a Christian for... 30, 40 years, in some of us in some cases are Christian for 12 or 15 years. I don't care what it is. We all still need to change. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us every single day and to show us how to, how to change. And you're going to find out what James said when he talks in his word about change and, and about faith and about Christians. You know, and uh, he talks about people and stuff. It says, The book of James tells us to, to be people who obey God. Instead of just listening to what he says and agreeing with him, we've got to be people that will obey his word. You've got to be people that will take his word and apply his word every day in your life and allow it to make changes in your life. You know, I'm I, I'm thinking about we go into church on Sunday mornings. A lot of you go. In, we go to church on Wednesday nights. Been doing that for years and years and years. And I believe in. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. But I believe that people in this room, you do allow the Holy Spirit and you allow God to change your life because you apply what God's Word says and you do it. But you know, there's a whole lot of Christians that do not do that. They go to church Sunday morning. Sometimes they might even go to a midweek service. Most of the time they probably don't. But they go to church Sunday morning and they'll listen to the Word and they'll listen to it and they just think, well, that's a great Word, that's a great Word, but they don't. Let it change their life. They don't ask God, how can I apply what I heard? Tonight when you leave here, you need to be asking God, God, you spoke to us tonight through your word through the book of James. Now, how can I apply that to my life so that I can grow and be a different person and not only so that I can grow and be different, but how can I help somebody else? Because that's what we're here for. We're not just here for ourselves to grow and to be changed. But we're here to help somebody else grow and be changed. And so that's what it's all about. You know, there's a lot of research that's been going on, and, and I like George Barna. I used to follow George Barna a lot more than I do now, especially when I was more involved in the, in the youth ministry. And I used to follow him all the time because he does a lot of great research. I'm going to read something. So it says, The George Barna's book, The Second Coming of the Church, gives some dismal research stats showing that Christians are not different from non-Christians. When it comes to things like divorce and charity and giving to charities, he, he concludes, we think and behave no differently from anyone else. Christians are not defined by their actions in our society. And this is tragic. That is true. We as Christians, we are not defined anymore by our actions. When people look at a Christian, they automatically should know that there's something different about you. There's something different about us. You know, we don't do the same thing that the the world does. We don't uh, talk the same way that the world talks. We are absolutely different. And that's what, you know, non-believers and people who look at Christians, that's what they expect. But so many times, Christians are not any different than the world the statistic on divorce is 52% of Christians end up in divorce. And that's the same thing for non-Christians as well, that same number. There's not any difference. And George Barna gives you a lot of statistics. And how can we sit there on a Sunday morning and hear... Now, one of the problems too is a lot of churches don't teach the Word that the way that they should. You know, they just kind of Soft shoe the word and just not really teach it in depth the way that they should. And that's one problem. And that's not necessarily, and it's a problem with the people that sit there and believe it and listen to it. Maybe they don't believe it, maybe they just listen to it. But that's one problem is the church is not really preaching the word that God wants, us to, wants them to preach. But also, the second problem is maybe they are preaching the word that God wants them to preach, and there's some people there that's listening, but that's not applying it to their life. They go away that Sunday morning. Man, that was a great word Pastor shared with us this morning. Now let's go off and do our thing. You know? And they do that they're their thing for the week and then they come back again. They don't apply it to themselves. That's why we're no different. So let me give you two points about how we can be different. God expects us to act on what we know. He expects us to act on what we know. He expects us as Christians, no matter how long you've been a Christian, He expects you to act on what you heard. And he says, okay, how are you going to apply that to your life? How are you going to make a difference in somebody else's life? You think about, I just talked about it, week in and week out. People sit there in a church and they do not allow the Word of God to change them. The Word of God has has strength. The Word of God can just go in. It's it's like a sword. It can divide us under. But sometimes people just resist and they sit there and say, okay, I'm fine the way that I am. I don't want to go any deeper. I don't want to grow necessarily. You apply God's Word to your life. Every time you hear it, you get back. You know, one reason I'm excited about home groups that's going on, one I went on last night, one's going on tonight actually, and we have three tomorrow night. But the reason I'm so excited about home groups is because it gives the people that go to those groups, okay, Pastor Albert may be taught on a Sunday, well, this last Sunday it was John Burns taught, Take what John taught. Here's some notes about what he said. Now, let's discuss it and think about how you can apply it to your life. Because that's what home groups is all about. You take the Word, you discuss it. It's great to have a discussion around the Word. Then you sit there and you think, okay, now God, show me, how do I make changes in my life? How do I apply this to my life? God expects us to do just that. He says, you know, He wrote this for us, for our benefit. Not just to tickle our ears. He wrote it for us and say, okay, if you take this and you live by this and let this be the standard of your life, you see, you're going to be good. Things are going to be good. Not, that, not everything, not that you're not going to have problems, but you're going to have trials like we talked about last week. But you got God's word and you know how to apply God's word to help you get through those trials. God expects us to act on what we know and what we hear. Let's read it in James. Chapter 1, verse 21 through 25, it says this. It says, therefore, in verse 21, James 1, 21. I'm reading read this out of the NIV. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. You know what that word planted means? You know why God used that word planted? When you plant something, you expect it to grow. You expect it to flourish. You don't plant it and expect it to die. You expect it to grow and to flourish. And he says, you know, take that word that's been planted in you, which can save you. Now, you have a major part in making that word come alive in your life. You have that part to play. And that way that you, you play that part is you meditate upon that word, that was given, whether it be the spoken word from the, from the pulpit or something that God speaks to you directly as you're reading his word, you take that word and say, God, I want that planted in my heart and in my spirit so that I can grow and I can flourish so that I can be saved. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral, uh, moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the Word. Look at this. And so deceive yourselves. Those Christians, that just hear the Word on Sunday morning and they don't apply it to to their life and they don't try to make changes in their life. They're deceiving themselves. It says, don't deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It says, verse 23, anyone who listens to the Word but does not do it, do what it says. It's like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away immediately and forget what he looks like. But the man who looks intensely into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do so, you ought to highlight that continues, continues to do so, continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You've got to continually apply the word to your life. You can't just meditate upon that verse of scripture one time and say that's great. How can I apply it to my life? And then you just my life, and you go away and forget about it. You continually apply it to your life. Can I read that out of the message if you don't mind? I think it's kind of unique when you read it out of the message. It's not really a translation. It's just kind of a, you know, hey, here it is. This is what it sounds like. But this is so good when you read it out of the the message. I'm going to read verse 21 and to 25 very quickly. It says. Verse 21, so throw off spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. Get rid of it. Put it in the garbage. In simple humility, let our gardener, God, landscape you with the Word, making a salvation garden of your life. Verse 22, don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener, that you, that you are a listener when you, when you are anything but... Letting the word go in one ear and out the other, you need to act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glanced in the mirror. Look at this. Walk away and two minutes later have no idea what they are and what they look like. Why do they look into the mirror in the first place? They don't try and fix themselves up as they look into the mirror. They don't try to improve themselves as they look into the mirror. They just simply gaze into the mirror. You know, and God tells us, don't be like that. Let the Word apply into your life. Let the Word grow inside you. You've got to put God's Word into action. He expects us to do that. He expects us to do that every single day. Our actions affect the lives of those around us. And it's a witness to God's kingdom. When you allow the Word to change your life, and people look at you because they're looking at Christians and seeing if you're different. If you're not different, they'll, their response is, well, God doesn't make a difference in their life. You know, they look at you and you're not any different than anybody else, so why should I you know, believe you're God anyway? It's a witness. If you're not being changed by God and His Word, and it's not evident in the way that you live your life, it's a witness Who you are. And then people look at you and say, well, God's not real. God's not alive. God doesn't make a difference in their life. So why should I even consider going to church or consider anything else? But when you become different and you allow God's Word to change you and people look at you and they say, now, she is different. He's different. He's going through this trial. But, you know, he's got joy or she's got joy going through this trial. I wonder why and they become inquisitive, and they start to ask questions. So, you've got to do what God's Word says. We've got to hurry up. Teaching point number two, obedience takes humility and the realization that my soul is in danger. You know, when you realize, and you can take time to read James chapter 2, verses uh, 14 through 26, you're on there, but if if you realize that your soul is in danger, If you're not allowing the Holy Spirit and God to change you through His Word, it's your soul that's in danger. And you are affecting the people around you as we talked about. But you've got to accept God's obedience, humbly accept it. Because what you do when you apply the Word to your life is you open up yourself and you say, God, I want to walk with You. I want You to control every aspect of my life. Every part of my being. I want You to control that. And so that's what you do when you're being obedient to God and His Word. You say, I'm going to humbly accept whatever you tell me to do because I know that you've got the best interest for me. You're looking out for me and you want me to grow and to, to, to flourish as a Christian. That's what God expects. There's a quote I want to read to you again. It talks about, about change in dealing with... Uh, with change in our life. And this, this quote is from C.S. Lewis. And think about this. This is about an egg. It says, It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly slight, slight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We are like eggs at present. And you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. Now, you think about that. An egg, if you allow it to grow and flourish and you take care of it, it'll eventually turn into a chicken or a bird or something, and it's eventually going to fly, you know, if it's a bird that flies. But he's saying right there, you got to allow change to happen in your life. You can't stay where you're at today, and you allow the change to happen when you listen to the Word, and you apply the Word in your life, and you ask God, How can I make some changes? I want some changes to happen in my life, and how can I do it? So let me ask you a question. What motivates you to obey God's law and God's word? What motivates you? Like I tell you, for me, the motivation is I want to please God. I want to do everything I can to please God, to let Him know that, God, I want to be changed, and I want to be different, and I want to walk with you, and I humbly accept everything that you want me to do and everything that you want me to, to go through. You know, sometimes we don't do it because we're concerned about how other people might, what the other people might say or the consequences that are there. But when we put those aside and we say, God, change me, I want to be changed. And He'll sit there and say, What you heard on a Sunday morning, what you heard on a Wednesday night, what you hear in your own private time, your own quiet time with me. Apply it to your life. That's all you got to do is ask me how you can apply it to your life. And listen to me because the Holy Spirit is always talking to us and telling us how we can apply those things to our life. In your notes there, you'll see a a little story about Truett Cathay, the uh, founder of Chick-fil-A. I don't have time to read that or go through that, but I can tell you this. I had an opportunity to sit on a session with him uh, many years ago with Teen Mania when I was uh, up there attending a, a, a youth minister's conference, and I got to learn a lot about the man, just listening to him speak. But what he does, every, and it's not brought out in this little thing here that you read, but what he does, he teaches a 7th grade junior high class every Sunday for boys. Now, you're talking about something that's tough. You try to get a bunch of 7th graders together, boys, just only boys, and you teach them every single Sunday Sunday. That's why the man is who he is and what he was able to found and how, one reason Chick-fil-A is as successful as it is, it's never open on Sunday because he believes that's God's day and we ought to honor God. And God has blessed that company so much. You ever go to the Chick-fil-A down here? Most of the time, if you go to lunch, you're going to have to wait to get in. But people are willing to do it, you know, and they think the food's great. But I think it's not only just the food, it's the company and what they believe. So read that story. God's Word should change each and every one of us. Let's look at the second one now. And we're going to quickly go through this. True faith leads to social action. You know, in the media that we live in today, we see all the time about the poor people in our country and the countries around the world. We see it all the time. We see it happening. But you know, And I don't know if your heart is broken for the poor, But when when you talk about the poor, it's not only just poor with food and poor with with housing and clothing and all that, but poor in spirit, first of all, because they need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're poor in their body because they need healing in their body or they're, they're poor in their emotions because they need an emotional healing. That's the poor. And God expects us to recognize them and to do something about it. There's another quote that says, Try to be a rainbow in somebody's cloud. If you try to be a rainbow in somebody's cloud, you're going to sit there and say, what can I do to help? How can I apply what God has taught me in His Word to help somebody else? It's, it is helping financially with them in some cases, but it's also just going and giving them a hand and helping them out and helping do things for them. And that's what God expects us to do. I, I love this church. You know, I heard pa- Pastor Monica used to get up a lot on Sundays and say, I love this church. I do love this church. This church is, you know, we, I don't think we even, you know, kind of blow our own horn enough around here on what we do. You know, we, we do great things around the, and I got the pastor's last letter about the, uh, the GGO, the global, uh, Grace Global Outreach Ministries, and I was going to read part of that, but you heard him give the testimonies last Sunday, 566 churches built around the world somewhere. we got another seven more in progress. That's doing, that's the social actions that James is talking about. When you allow faith to change you, you're going to sit there and you're going to catch the same vision that God has given to our pastor about building churches around the world. And you're going to say, i got to be a part of that. I can dare say that almost everybody in this room, probably 100% of you, have been involved in building a church in a remote village somewhere. And that's the, the difference that we can make because you're applying God's word to your life. You're letting Him speak to you about what you can do in the social actions. But I don't think we, we do. You know, the, we, uh, I can, there's a little testimony. I'm going to ask do you, do you feel comfortable sharing that now about the feeding centers in Guatemala? You got one minute if you are. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, of course, we take some, We took some teenagers to, to Guatemala, and there's an opportunity for a feeding. We went to the feeding centers. We did a vacation Bible school. Every time we took teens to Guatemala, we've done this. We will go to a feeding center, and we have a chance to minister to those kids over there through a vacation Bible school, to pray with them, to encourage them, to give them a lot of little toys and trinkets. We do that, and we help feed them. We serve them the food like they're royalty. And... That changes their life because some of them, and like you talk to Larry and Marla, they'll tell you that's the only good meal they have for that week or twice they get it, sometimes twice a week. It makes a difference in their life and their family's life, but it also makes a difference in our life. You cannot go and work at a feeding center for a day and not be changed and not understand what God is saying about social actions when our faith should affect our social actions. You know, we... Uh, we don't talk about it. We, take, we, we went and worked in the food bank in Houston you know, for about four hours a day. A couple times we've done that now, two or three times, and it makes a difference. Pardon me? Tell them about the orphanage in Pacasmaya. The orphanage in you, Oh, yes. Yeah, why don't you tell them about it? <laughs> okay. An orphanage in Pacasmaya. It is built on a dump, and there's a lot of great kids there. Beautiful place, though. But uh, it's, it's built right on the middle of a dump, and the lady there has church services for those kids, and she gets them adopted out and everything else. That's what social actions is all about. And Preston, come up here real fast. And I asked, you know, we, you know, not too long ago, last year the teens went to, to feed the homeless in downtown Houston, and I asked uh, Preston if he would just give a brief testimony. Bob, is this mic on? Yeah, it's on. If he would give a brief testimony about how feeding the homeless affected him and how it affected the people's lives
1: that ate the food. Thanks, President. Thank you. Uh, There was uh, probably about about, I don't know, 50 people there. You know, it's a good handful number of people. And uh, we had a little, uh, we had the teens uh, band up there for getting ready for worship and all that, but we were feeding the people and just, you know, most of them come there just to get a free meal. And, you know, Anyway, so we give them the free meal, and uh, we start worship, and, you know, people are sitting in the back. There's all kinds of brutally honest people there, you know. They're there to, and they're just mostly sitting there, but there are people who want their lives changed there. And, you know, during worship, I was, in, I was loving worship, and, you know, about maybe a good 14 people who were there were enjoying it as well. Anyway, at the end of the testimony and service that there's about a line of 14 people who were desperately wanting their lives to be changed. And I remember this, there was this one lady with, I think she was missing a leg. She was in a wheelchair, and she was just, she called, she called one of our uh, teens, not of a Christian, because uh, she, uh, she he wasn't really listening very well, and he didn't hear, her. but uh, her her day was changed after that. You know, she was very, very, very influenced by the Lord that day. Anyway.
0: All right. Thank you. Thanks a lot. What in the study, what you're going to find out, and the very first teaching point right there, it says, do not show favoritism. You know what James is saying? And I'm not going to take the time to read the scriptures. I apologize. But you can certainly read them out of James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. But he talks about, you know, we're not to show favoritism. As Christians, we're not to show favoritism. We don't look on somebody and think, okay, they've got all of this stuff and so they must be much better than the person who is homeless and Montrose who doesn't have anything. We don't, as Christians, we don't look at people that way. We don't treat the person who has the stuff better than we treat the person who is homeless. We don't do that. That's what James is trying to tell us right there in that first point. Don't show favoritism. If you say that you're a Christian and you're walking in faith and you're allowing God's Word to change you, as we talked about just a few moments ago, then what you've got to look at is you look at people the way that God looks at them. God loves every single person that walks this earth and that has every walk this earth. He loves us so much that He gave His Son for us to help save us. And so we should be looking at people the, absolutely the same way that God looks at them. And, and even those that come into our church, we look at them the same way. I, uh, I've said many times to our youth group, you know, you might have somebody that's coming here tonight, they're going to look different than you, they're going to smell different than you. You love them. You, you love them. And you let them know that you love them. That's what James expects us to do. When you talk about faith helps us in our social actions, that's what he's referring to right there. He says, let it make a difference in your life. Don't. Do not allow it, you know, any favoritism to come in your life. Let me get through these scriptures real fast past those. The second point says, Be aware of the dangers of wealth and look for ways to serve the poor. Now, this is why I said I love this church so much because this church, and I'm going to give you a testimony. Rayford Hope, every single Friday, not every Friday, I'm sorry, take that back, every other Friday, about every other Friday, mostly every other Friday. Uh, a group of people meet here about seven or 7.30 in the morning and they set up some food baskets and they take them to an apartment complex right around the corner here. Well, a few weeks ago, I, was, I answered the phone and there was a man that was on the phone and uh, he just moved up from Corpus Christi. He's a retired teacher, moved up from Corpus Christi, moved into the apartments with his daughter. His daughter is a, is a, a single mother and she's also a teacher, and his first words out of his mouth, he says, I want to visit your church. He said, I've seen you guys come over here on Friday morning and bring food to the people that need it. And he said, I can tell you, most of them truly need the food that you bring. And he said, I've seen y'all come over and do this, and I want to check out your church. Now, I don't know if he's ever come or not. I, I told him, if you come, look me up, but sometimes... I'm in the sound booth and you're hard to find me and that sort of thing. But he recognized it. He recognized that this church believes in helping those that are in need. And that's what James tells us that we need to do. He says, let your life be such a way that you don't look at the poor and the people that, that are, are cast down as that, well, they did it to themselves and I guess they deserve what they got. You know, that's not the way we look at them. God looks at him and says, I love that person, and I'm going to help that person get up and become somebody better. And I'm going to help feed feed them, and I'm going to help clothe them. Our church, we we help so many people. I mean, there's a lot of you. You don't know that there's people that do come through here, and sometimes they're looking for gas cards. We've got to use wisdom. Some of them don't need it. But there are some true needs that come in, and the church is always there to try to help out when we can. Can we help everybody? No, we can't but we, we, we listen to the Lord and we try to do what we can. God expects us to do that. Be aware of the dangers of your wealth. It's some, what he's referring to there. If you have a chance to read those scriptures, James is telling us this, some people have their wealth and at the expense of other people. And that, The reason it's at the expense of other people is because they don't try to help. They don't use what they have to help others. And God expects us to reach out and to help others become better men and better women, and to help them when they really and truly have a need. So, we're talking about tonight, our faith should lead to change. You take God's Word, and you apply it in your life, and you ask Him every single time that you hear the Word taught, God, what can I do? How can I apply this in my life? You know, How can I make a difference? And then the second thing, is we let our faith speak to us through our social actions. You know, let our faith be alive in the social actions we do, whether we're helping with the poor or we're helping somebody else. That's what it's all about. Now, next week, we're going to finish up this, this book of James. We're going to look at taming the tongue. Ooh, how many of y'all are going to be here next week to tame your tongue? Amen. We're going to tame the tongue next week, and we're going to talk about being the people of prayer. And... Uh, We're going to do that next week. And so I thank you very much for coming out tonight. I'm going to turn this back over to Pastor.